0: Hello, everyone. This is Deborah Rue, and um, we're doing Access Chat again without Neil. Um, I have Antonio Santos here, and Neil is still uh, remodeling his new home. So uh, he, but he sends his best wishes to everybody, and also Happy Day After Gad. 2022. So we're really excited about our guest today, Stephanie Walter. She is a consultant with Maltum and she is a UX designer that also You know, really believes in accessibility, so we're excited about talking to her about her work. And um, she also has some really, really cool things on her websites that her website that um, you might want to check out. She's got like the pixels of the week, Um, and she also has some. uh, She has a really cool thing that I was just looking at: five illustrations to understand and promote accessibility. So, welcome to Access Chat, Stephanie.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, do you t- tell us. And first of all, love your hair. Um, <laughs> love your skin. I love girls first. Love your hair, Antonio. But Antonio's daughter has hair.
1: But okay, um, he has a blue shine. But I think it's the light.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's the light. <laughs> but it would be funny if he'd go blue. But all right. Um. So, Challenge. Stephanie, Tell us a little bit about your work. How did you get into human centric, you know, work? Uh, You know, why do you think it's important?
1: Uh, Sure. So I was trained in uh, something that is, um, and I have a master degree in languages and uh, web design to put it simple so it's a master degree that mixes both um, and we had some uh, classes so it wasn't called UX at that time um, it was in French it was uh, called ergonomie I think you can translate it by usability because ergonomics is more like for chairs and stuff so yeah usability lesson but we didn't have that many of those so when I arrived in um, my first internship I was supposed to design some um, iOS applications and um I did nothing. I knew nothing about those, but uh, Apple had a really good guidelines and I like how it's called. I think it's still called like that. It was called human centered um, interface, something like that. But it had the, the word human in it. And I thought that was really, really interesting. So by starting to dig about, okay, I'm supposed to design a US application. I have no idea how to do that. I started kind of getting more and more interested into the field and discovered UX designer. Um, we had some lessons on usability and uh, user user testing, but that was kind of it because usually there's a lot of things you need to teach to students, and you don't don't have time to go through all of that. So, so yeah, I discovered it like that, like mostly books and conferences and articles, and um, I've been like digging and digging further since and trying to get a little bit better at um at all of that and then after i was working in uh, germany i decided to go back to france i was hired by a company and one of the specialty of the company was that they were access uh, putting a big emphasis on accessibility like we had uh, one guy who's uh, uh, when I arrived, there was only one guy, but then we had more people who was trained into accessibility, like audits and things like that. So accessibility was a big part of um this company offer and uh, what we were trying to do. And I was like, yeah, actually, that makes sense. You know, like we're building websites for people and all kind of people with all different needs. So kind of the bridge between accessibility and UX design is just like, yeah, it makes sense as a designer, you know. It's like, OK, I get it. And yeah, since then, I was like, just like digging further and further into the topic and trying to improve, uh, I think, step by step, (laughs) one step at at a time, because it's a big, complicated topic. It is a big, complicated topic. And I think sometimes people don't
0: realize how big and complicated it is. That's not a reason not to make your your, uh, ICT accessible, because everything needs to be accessible. But it, it, there's a little bit more complication than sometimes the accessibility field likes to say. It's like, eh, it's a little bit harder. Um, sometimes it's just the sheer volume of all the moving parts um, that yeah. is complicated. So when it, we've talked a lot recently about design and I, I just feel sometimes like a broken record because I don't understand why we would design or develop or program or build anything that didn't work for all mm-hmm. human beings, and, and we um, we had a guest on uh, the other day from Canada, Judah, and she was just talking about how, you know, we really need to rethink the way we're doing design because. And I was talking to um, Gareth Ford Williams, and he had made a comment that when he goes into training, he will begin the training with, "Who do we leave out?" And people are like totally mm-hmm. freaked out when he says that. But then he'll say, well, this is adult um, programming, for example. Should we leave out the children? Well, yes. Okay, so then you start, mm-hmm. oh, okay, it is okay to leave out the children on this kind of content. Is it okay to leave out all the people that are blind and vision? So mm-hmm. it's a very interesting Conversation, but are you finding those kind of conversations happening in the work that you're doing? That people are really starting to take UX,
1: human centered design, and accessibility more seriously. Uh, it's complicated because already for UX design, it's really hard to push it. Like I think uh, we have I work for a client and we are like three designers in the whole bank. In the bank is like f- uh, three thousand people internals plus. I don't know, maybe two thousand. um No, yeah, thousand Um external. So there's a lot of people, <laughs> free designers, and uh, that's it's starting to grow a little bit, and people understand the need. But yeah, so already like UX is hard uh, to push forward, accessibility is hard to push forward. So when you you push the both, but the good thing is usually then you push both at the same time. You know, it's like okay. <laughs> That's the thing. Uh, also, I got an um, impression there's a lack of proper training. Yes. Like, I think the word was mentioned once in a blue moon during the two years of master's degree and, like, the word accessibility. And that's basically it. And I got the same I- impression that for developers, it's kind of the same. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're lucky. Maybe they will get... um. A teacher that's who's a little bit more interested into the topic but most of this, the 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 developers i talk to and the, the designers they're like yeah i didn't know about accessibility i kind of discovered it and even my students like i'm trying to push a little bit uh the, the the name so that they kind of um i give them a lot of resources but i'm teaching mobile ux so I'm like explaining things around how a blind person might use um, a, a phone and different impacts it has with a touch interactions, for instance, but I have like seven hours with them, <laughs> which is next to nothing already for my topic. So I'm like, okay, there's this field and if you're interested, feel free to come to me, I will send you like links and everything, but um uh, yeah, I get a feeling it starts with the education, and at some point, if we don't educate the people who are building the websites, then of course it's obviously if you don't teach something to someone, they can't invent it if they don't know about it. So it's like a, it's the same for like accessibility. It's way more expensive if you have to fix it right. once the project is shipped versus when you start thinking about accessibility from the start. And yet that's the thing, you need to train people to think about accessibility from the start. Otherwise we will be stuck in this loop where then your website gets audited and I was like, oh my God, we have to fix it. It's gonna cost so much money. And then accessibility is kind of seen as a money consuming constraint which and it doesn't have to be like if you hire the right people who know who to build accessible website, but also like native apps and things like that. You have some designers who understand things around accessibility. Then you, you build it like that from the start. Uh, Yeah. It's a long journey.
0: (laughs) And I, and you're right that we see very little education in the universities mm. and colleges about accessibility, and um, but there's a few examples. I know that they do it in Spain. They have a master's degree Ooh. in Spain, which is great, but we need more. And I know there's some stuff that's happened in the States, but another thing that besides so many designers and developers and programmers not being introduced to it when they're, they're being taught in school... we also have this weird thing that happened in the U S because we're suing everybody. um, And, and I hope we keep doing that. I'm sorry, but make,
1: yeah, I wish we did it.
0: Right. Make your technology accessible. But anyway, but it's also sort of interesting here in the States because of our, all of our litigation, it does seem a lot more of the designers programmers and developers do know about accessibility. And sometimes they'll call it 508 because that's the, the particular Mm law. But I taught this really, I went in and was training this really large uh, telecommunications company in the United States. And um, I was telling them about the UX and the accessibility. And what was interesting is the people in the class, and some of them knew more than I did. Yay. You know?
1: And that's so cool. I said, <laughs> I
0: cool you to... <laughs> but I asked them, well, if you know this, why? Why aren't you doing it? And they said, because we are not, nobody appreciates us here at this company. If we come out and say, oh, by the way, we should also do this. It's got to come from the top. And I just thought that was a very important point too. Yeah. It's you sort of hurt them whenever you don't allow them to really create it for humans, so it's just another weird problem. But I will also say that I know that we've talked about an access chat before that Atos has really, I think, done a gift to the community with the work that they've done with their apprenticeship programs to train people to be apprentices in accessibility and Antonio I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that but I love that this gigantic brand is trying to help make sure that we have more educated people in our field Antonio do you want to talk about that
2: that would that um, um, allows people who are in the apprenticeship program to to follow a career path and become certified uh, accessibility professionals uh this started uh by our colleagues in in UK who uh were part of that uh, working group so today if you are an apprentice in UK you can apply and you can be certified as a, cool. an accessibility professional the, the the training and the modules are available for everyone so every other institution in Europe or in the United States who wants to use the baseline of the program can use it
1: uh i, I need the cool. link Yes. I need the link to that it. program. Uh, I know people so, who would be it's super It's amazing, happy and
0: it's got everything. It is so robust. Mm. It's so robust. I, think, mm. I told the United States government about it. It's like, guys, go and do that. They've already done it. And they're on because, it. Microsoft because, has
1: something to you as okay. well.
2: Because this, this, oh, it, this opens uh, very interesting opportunities for people who came out of high school and they don't want to go to university. They want to prefer to go into an apprentice uh, scheme and and program that gives them immediately access to a career. And and we know that every organization is looking for professionals. Uh, This is somehow a way, a a short path to train people uh, uh, faster, providing them uh, the skills that they need To start working as, as as soon as possible and, and is agnostic as possible. That's also one of the ideas. So it is not vendor specific, doesn't relate with any uh, proprietary technology is somehow open to, to everyone. It's, 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 it's quite an interesting model, but I wanted to also to introduce a a new topic here, uh, considering that we're talking about also training about uh, people who need to develop and, and uh, build things around accessibility, but uh, and Stephanie, we, we know that sometimes conferences around accessibility, they bring all the accessibility community together, but don't, they don't often bring anyone that works in cosmic experience. And the same applies to conference on cosmic experience that mm. they bring people working cosmic experience, but nobody there knows anything about accessibility. So why are yeah. these two worlds keeping so apart from each other?
1: <laughs> uh, that that's kind of a tricky question. Like I pitched the talk okay, I did at um, AxeCon on uh, designer to a deaf conference, and I hope they will accept it, because I really want. Like as you said, like it's nice to do this kind of talk in front of people who are interested in accessibility. But I want to do this talk in front of people who know nothing about accessibility or a little bit. But the thing is, I think it's complicated because often like UX conferences, from what I've seen, they really like UX niche topics, like a conference on UX research is going to want a topic on UX research because people pay kind of see no conferences as trainings as well. So I think it's a little bit complicated with those kind of conference models who are super specified in something um, specific like development, I don't know, like React conferences. They don't expect a talk on accessibility and they're kind of not super, I won't kind of, it doesn't fit the lineup, you know, when you have a, a specific niche um, topic. So I think it, this is why, like, accessibility is going to more, like, mainstream, more generic conferences that could work. But, yeah, I agree. We need to have more, like, okay, let's cross the bridges, have a topic about something in front of someone else and the other way around. And this is a fun fact. It's like, I think I spoke at more developer conferences than UX conferences. Still, have a UX designer, but... Most of the time, it's like, yeah, I don't make it uh, to the, the UX one, but uh, developer conferences are super happy to have topics and design and accessibility to help bridge the gaps and things like that. But yeah, then it really depends on who is organizing the conference as well. But yeah, we need to have more, like, bridges and exchanges between the... All the different topics. And also I would love to see kind of a more like a CIO or CEO or like higher level stakeholder conference start talking about accessibility as well, uh, which is uh, something we need to, as you said, it also needs to go for, uh, to come from the top and like. Um, go a little bit downside, otherwise if the initiative is not coming from the top, there's no budget and stuff. So for me, it's a topic that also needs to reach kind of a higher hierarchy, but again, that's always a little Tricky.
0: (laughs) We agree. And there's actually something that's happened that we're very excited about because the World Economic Forum and Dr. Caroline Casey and Paul Pullman, the former CEO of Unilever, got together and they created the Valuable 500. And 500 um, enlightened CEOs from all over the world, major corporations, multinational corporations, all agreed to disability inclusion. And you can't have disability inclusion. If you don't have accessibility, and I believe you excellent mm. conversation as well, human centered, you can, yeah. we need to design for humans. And so we're, we're hopeful, but it's a huge, uh, so we got 500 CEOs to agree to include us, but now we actually have our work cut out because we have to deliver. And when I say yeah. we, I mean our community has to deliver. We have to stop this fussing and fighting. We've got to come together and we've got to support each other because in the end, I don't really care if it's UX, I don't care about the words, but I want access. Everyone needs access to this technology that enhances Mm -hmm. our lives. So- Speaking of that, I want to just uh, compliment you a little bit about on your personal website, stephaniewalter.com, um, that you have... Dot stories, design. <laughs> excuse me, I named it. I, I, I don't
1: know what's the dot com. Stephanie now, Walter
0: dot design. Stephanie Walter dot design. Excuse me <laughs> for saying that wrong. Story of my life. But I love, once again, that you have all these really wonderful things like you I, I I, wrote down some of the names the user research and UX design starter kit I, I mean it's yeah. amazing. you've got the the fonts ninja a cheat sheet for you for user interviews and follow-up questions it's just really you've got some really really cool content out there and I was first of all I want to say thank you but I want to say you know, why, and how do you select your content? And it looks like a lot of it is free. And I just want yeah. to thank you for that as well. <laughs> um, and I know that's one reason why I wanted, we wanted to have you on the show, but people like you are, you really help us continue to, you know, reduce the gaps. So tell us more about some of these um, products that you've created and why. <laughs>
1: Uh, so the way it depends, uh, for some of the stuff it's just like, for, for instance, I have a cheat sheet with a user interview que- um, questions to help you, but also follow ups. And this is basically like me. Getting tired of always searching for the same articles over and over again. So I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to put them all in one second place. I was like, you know what? I also, I do this cheat sheet for me. Most of the stuff it starts as a, it's a tool for me because I don't like to redo the same thing over and over again. And I'm like, oh, maybe it could interest some people. So that's kind of the way of, of all of a, a lot of stuff. Also, sometimes people ask me questions. Like I was talking on the Slack. Um, Last time, and a designer asked me like, uh, "Do you have like accessibility checklist?" And uh, I don't know a lot of about accessibility. I don't know where to start. It's like, oh, okay. So I put together a few links. And I was like, you know what? Maybe other people might ask that question as well, and maybe I should like take that content and put it in a blog post. I didn't have time yet, but uh, I will. So that's why a lot of my blog is lists of stuff. Yeah, I have a list of blogs. I have a list of uh, where do you find uh, inspiration for mobile. I have a a lot of those lists, but most of the time it's like I am tired of searching for the same thing. So I think 90% of the use of the search on my website is me trying to find my stuff again. So it's basically like I have bookmarks and I put them on my website so that I can find them instead of uh, keeping them for myself. So yeah the why is mostly and how do I um create those things yeah most of the time is sp- Stuff that is useful for me, and I'm um, think, okay, maybe this can help someone else. Or like people ask me questions, and I was like, oh, you know what? That's a good question. Let's answer it publicly. And uh, then also it's uh, things I say over and over again, like the thing about um, how to find your first UX job. Is like a lot of people come with this question to me. I was like, okay, I'm gonna make a blog post so then I can send it as a blog post with a lot of content instead of just having the same conversation. So I'm happy to have conversations, obviously, but at some point it's like, okay, if it can be useful for more people, let's let's put it on the website as well.
0: And it's a knowledge transfer that way. Uh, one yeah, of the that's the goal. I really liked, um, which I plan to go in, is uh, the one that you have on Discover Cognitive Biases. Because uh, really, there's uh,
1: a lot of biases out there. This is a fun one. It's like, so we used to do uh, before pandemic with uh, my dear friend Laurence Wagner um... Uh, UX in Lux. So the goal is, uh, it's meetups, but we didn't want to do meetups where we talk to people uh, about a the topic, they get the knowledge, and then we have a beer and go back. We didn't want this kind of relationship. We wanted to have a meetup where we come and explore together. So the goal of UX in Lux has always been like, if you have a UX method you want to try out, before trying out on real, actual users and clients, just come mm-hmm. to the meetup and we will do so. So we did some things around card sorting, we did some things around user on map. And in Luxembourg, it's uh, kind of the... Um... Uh, the, the venues are quite expensive, so we have sponsors most of the time. And that particular month, we didn't have any sponsor, uh, but uh, we had a friend in Amazon. He said, "You know what? Uh, if you meetup is free, sometimes Amazon is okay to give you a room." It's like, okay. So we are going to go to Amazon. We need to find a fun topic. It's like, you know what would be fun at Amazon? It's like talking about uh biases and uh, all the the different things that uh, some uh, e-commerce website use to trick you into buying things. So it was kind of me trolling Amazon <laughs> think a little bit. I was like, okay, what shall we do? So the first version at Amazon, we found some cards online. And I think the, the cards there mentioned the ones we used in the first version. And uh, we used those. But then we were kind of like, okay, those cards were really like, generic biases, and we wanted to do something more oriented towards user research, but also interfaces. So we went to Wikipedia, took the list of 140 biases, I think, and just like cherry picked, like Laurence has this amazing spreadsheet with colors and stuff. And um, we rewrote some of the um, definitions that were a little bit too complicated to understand we translated them in French so we started with English translated it in French and someone nicely translated those in um in Spanish as well and yeah we we created this um this card game and the workshop that goes around it to help kind of your team become aware um of the different biases that they might have when uh designing or but also there's some categories about biases in meetings like uh stuff that might I oh, know you, <laughs> then when yeah. you are like in a meeting to understand sometimes a little bit why like also dynamics in a group. Like, um, if you have someone that is a uh, like highest person in the room, if you let that person say something first, no one else is going to contradict that person. <laughs> it's like bandwagon effect, bias and all of that stuff. So, so yeah, we've been having fun with, uh, with those uh, workshops and.
0: But that we should have fun while we're learning, Antonio. I know you had a comment.
2: So Stephanie, we we know that we have new regulation coming from the uh, the European Union. um, That is about to. It's already amongst amongst us. It will affect initially more sectors than 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 others. Uh, What type of uh, things have you heard about it? Are, Are you do you think uh, companies are following up the need to making their websites and their apps accessible or they are still trying to figure out mm-hmm. what that legislation is about
1: some are not even aware <laughs> of the stuff like of the legislation which is a little bit sad but it depends on the company to be honest i also think it depends on the people within the company if they have a special interest for accessibility they will be pushing it i know some people in luxembourg are pushing um, accessibility in private companies which is a good thing because private companies is not mandatory yet i think based on different european laws uh, but yeah what annoys me a little bit in europe um when you come from the US or I think UK is a little bit more strict is like most of the time clients ask, okay, but what happens if my website is not access- accessible and you, you say, well, get on the list that says your website is not accessible. So there's like some website that have to, in France, I think you have to um, put on your website, your level of accessibility, but if it's not accessible, you can say, oh, it's not accessible. And that's okay. It's like, Eh huh? what oh. <laughs> when I heard I was like uh, okay, so if you acknowledge that your website is not accessible you have sometimes I think to try to so for the now, I don't think there's any fines or anything happening in Europe. I don't think I heard about class action and stuff in Luxembourg there's um some people um you can go and complain to say this website is not accessible as a customer, and then uh, they try to reach out to. Whoever is building the website and usually it works better, I think, with government website and things, because again, like the law is more strict for public websites than uh, for private sector. But then, yeah, even the people who try to reach out to those companies say, look, your website is not accessible. Like, I know the people is a friend of mine. <laughs> 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 Luxembourg is small. I can give names, but uh, yeah, he said, I tried to reach to this company, but they never reached back. So it's a little bit. Uh, so I think if some people complain that something is not accessible, it depends how higher up they can bring the complaint and things. So it's that's kind of the issue too. Is uh, what happens if something is not accessible it's today? Definitely- Stephanie, You're I want to be nothing. You, I want to give you another argument to use. Um,
0: a, a, and we started with this in the states, but we do have litigation, mm. gigantic sticks of litigation. So, but I wrote a book to in two thousand and eighteen called Inclusion Branding, and I really talked to corporate brands that, mm-hmm. and if these corporate brands in Luxembourg, you know, want us to consider them enlightened brands around the world, we expect them to be accessible. So I mm-hmm. would start using their brand. Who did they want the world to think they are? Because we are making decisions about, for, t- yesterday was GAD, um, yeah. Global Accessibility Awareness Day, and General Mills, put out a, um, some, some content and they thanked their disability network. They thanked three um, employees that are accessibility stars internally, and they just really bragged about their internal team. And so I said, that warms my heart that this big brand is so, you know, they, they just are so thankful and grateful for their own teams. So I just would say to you, that's one way also Mm. to try to, if they care about their brand, but we are making decisions anyway. Go ahead. And- but, uh,
2: something that that uh, annoys me uh, quite a lot is you know we had all all this effort and all this money and commitment with GDPR. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's important, but so is accessibility. So you put so much effort on GDPR, but some people in, in the world, in some people with disabilities, uh, they are not able even to access. To resources where they can have their privacy at risk, so yep. they just want to access uh, to to and, and to be able to to use the web and services. And and I, I I in my opinion we should move in a similar direction in terms of the accessibility regulation in Europe as we move in relation to GDPR. Is is in is is the access is more important than the end privacy is important, but you cannot establish, uh, put one higher than the other. But in in, in my personal view, access comes first I agree. because you are not, if you're not able to access, how can you complain about privacy? So, yeah. so good. for me, that, that's you no, know, instead <laughs> of, I, I know that they can, you know, all these countries, uh, several countries in Europe, they try to block the accessibility reg- regulation. They try to find workarounds that to apply internally. Uh, I think that the commission should have uh, applied a a similar methodology to GDPR and enforce fines. And for for what we have seen so far, and if we can extract some comparisons, uh, when GDPR came out, it was actually government websites who got the first fines. No, government, (laughs) who had the responsibility to apply GDPR, was the first to be non-compliant. And I'm almost sure if this, uh, if we had a similar thing in relation to uh, accessibility, government would be the first ones also to, to be fined by the accessibility regulation. No, it's, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's something that really upsets me because I, I, I look at all the money, all the effort put on GDPR, and then I look to compare with accessibility, and I haven't seen the same commitment. So okay. for me, it's, it's very disappointing.
0: Good point. So Stephanie, I know that we promised to keep you on only 30 minutes and we've already gone over one minute, sorry, but um, we want to give you the last words too. And so um, I, you know, we want to make sure people know how to find you. And I mentioned your website. I'll do it correctly this time. It is stephaniewalter.design, which makes so much more sense than .com or (laughs) dot.
1: I'm glad we have these options. But I checked, I can buy it. It's five uh, five thousand right,
0: dollars. Right. No. Oh my gosh, I know billion strong <laughs> was like, B- billion strong was available, but they wanted a minimum four thousand dollars. That was the starting mm. bit. And I was like, keep it, we'll do billion strong.org. Um, whatever. <laughs> but uh, everybody's trying to make money, but what what is your you know what is your recommendation that for designers that you know that really do want to make a difference like you did? I mean, what uh, once again you have so many wonderful resources, but do you have any other recommendations for people that are finding out about accessibility and saying, wait a minute, we
1: should do this together? Mm-hmm. I would say the community is uh, quite uh, friendly, to be honest. It's like sometimes yeah. there's some people complaining a little bit loudly on Twitter because they are kind of annoyed at so many things but it's because they care most of the time so i think if you reach out to people in the community of accessibility you you will find a very 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 welcoming community and uh, anytime i had questions and things like i was always able to find someone so i would say it's uh, quite an open community so don't hesitate to reach out to people and uh, start somewhere it can be super small it can be maybe just check the colors of your website like the other day was someone was publishing uh on linkedin and ab testing i was like oh shocking the second one uh, people uh, we had like a big decrease of 50 percent it's like yeah but maybe uh one of the issues you added something on the second one but your labels they are so small and there's like light grays like of course you had a de- I have echo. It was decreasing because no one is able to read your labels. So yeah. you start fixing your accessibility issues, maybe something like that. So I would say start somewhere. Like you can't pick all the battles at once. Um, it's, you will not win the war directly, yeah. but if you can start like somewhere, someone, somewhere people relate somewhere small and then like build upon that and grow a little bit, that's uh, really cool. Also, maybe in your organization there's some groups of uh, either like people with disabilities, or there's also a group with um, friends of people with disabilities. So if you can check within your organizations, like intranet, or uh, there's a lot of different places. But I'm so into corporate stuff that is like intranet is the go-to. But yeah, and reach out to to the communities working already. That that could be an, an another nice like first step yeah i agree
0: and you know that and one thing that it comforts me is that i've been in this field a long time i've been in the field since 2000 and a, for years we were not welcoming we were not welcoming and uh dr Gre- greg vanderhidenet iwe the iwe made a comment let's stop eating our young because we were <laughs> not being welcoming but Over the years, I think it is changed. I remember we talked about it on the access chat, and I was complaining, and I had multiple younger people say, that didn't happen to me, Deborah. So I think we are better now. I know that we have our own internal politics, you know, we, (laughs) we hate overlays versus blah, 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 but... I agree with you. We are all stronger together and we are actually making progress, but we Mm -hmm. at access chat, we, we always thought, you know, is anybody going to want to listen to access chat? And we're almost 10 years in, right? Antonio. And still, Mm Still having these really powerful, I believe, conversations with leaders like you, Stephanie. So we want to thank you for being on the show today. Um, we also want to thank my Clear Text for helping us with captions because obviously this is access chat. Everything is accessible. We were really committed to accessibility. But Stephanie, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for everything you're doing, and thank you for all the freebies that you're giving out on your website. <laughs> help us too because that is a real gift so thank you so much and thanks thanks for having me yeah and antonio thank you and we'll (laughs) see neil in june uh yeah hopefully without dirt under his nails and stuff but whatever right stephanie (laughs) (laughs) so all right bye everyone bye